This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. This is The Feed, York Region's longest-running and exclusive news magazine. I'm Ann Romer. Welcome. On the show, Super Bowl-ready, soul-nostalgic, and employees on the move. But we begin with a heart-stopping report. Every nine minutes, a Canadian suffers a cardiac arrest outside of the hospital. Only one in ten will survive, and close to 50% of cardiac arrests happen to people who are under the age of 65. All of this according to an unsettling but insightful report released on February 1st by the Heart and Stroke Foundation called Every Second Counts. The bottom line, more cardiac arrests are occurring, few survive, fast action is needed to save more lives. Dr. Katie Dainty is a qualitative social scientist and research chair in patient-centered outcomes at North York General. She's our guest now on the feed. Thank you so much, doctor, for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me, Em. So your core program of research focuses on using qualitative methods to unpack long-held assumptions about bystanders' experience and survivorship following sudden cardiac arrest. That sounds like a lot of of words that don't really mean anything to the civilian like me. What exactly do you do? So thanks. I, you know, this report has uh, from Heart and Stroke Foundation has really illuminated the the issue of sudden cardiac arrest. Is it happens so often in Canada? And what I do is I'm actually um, spent my career talking to people who do uh, lay responder CPR. So respond to someone who's had a cardiac arrest out of the hospital, do CPR, and those that have um, been affected by by sudden cardiac arrest. And what their journey is once they leave the hospital. And so we haven't really spent a lot of time understanding that. Sudden cardiac arrest is a very traumatic event for everyone involved. And so my research is um, unpacking what that looks like so that we can develop support systems for both of those groups of people. And how common is cardiac arrest? Unfortunately, very common. So, you know, it, at one every nine minutes in Canada, about 60,000 a year. And so that's, um, that's about, I like to akin it to the number of people that will be in the stadium on Super Bowl Sunday Oh, that's, uh, every yeah. year. Yeah, wow. And what exactly is cardiac arrest? So cardiac arrest is when your heart stops suddenly. Uh, we like to use the analogy of electrical versus plumbing. So a heart attack uh, we, we were very common with that language is usually you get a blockage or something wrong with the plumbing, what we call the plumbing in your heart. A cardiac arrest is that your heart uh, it falls into a rhythm or a beat that it can't get out of. It, it kind of goes into disco mode and the electricity to the heart stops. And so then your heart stops suddenly and therefore your blood stops pumping and you collapse. And why only mm-hmm. one in 10 will survive something like this outside of hospital? Right. Well, it requires someone to respond immediately. So we need to start pumping on that heart again, doing CPR, and where possible, applying what we call an automated external defibrillator. And those are available in the public setting. Not everyone has one at home yet, but um, they are available in public settings. And you need to grab that and basically shock the heart back into rhythm. So immediate response. 
Unfortunately, not everyone gets that immediate response. Uh, Bystander CPR in Canada is only about 50%-ish, and AED use is only about 13%. So we really have a lot of work to do to get people prepared to to respond quickly and get that survival rate up. And you know, the findings in this report, shocking. A lot of people were very disturbed by what they read and what they heard. What can we do to change those statistics? Well, I think the one thing that's excellent is that we now have the data. We um, we have the Canadian Resuscitation Outcome Consortium, which is a very long word, but it is uh, short form to CANROC, and that's where we actually have a registry of all of the cardiac arrests in Canada, and that's what provided the data for this report. And so having that data and understanding exactly how often it happens, which is more than we thought, um, and looking at the, the where, uh, the, from a time perspective, and where we need to implement solutions is the first step. And from there, we really need to create a culture of uh, people who are prepared and people who have the skills and willingness and, and really socializing the idea that we need people to help. How important are the words, every second counts? Literally, hmm. it, that is what it is all about. So for every minute that someone doesn't get Uh, uh, CPR or an AED, there's a 10% drop in survival. Mm. So it's literally every second count. Does it surprise you that this can affect anyone at any age? I mean, we're looking at 50% of the population under the age of 65. We're hearing about people in their 20s, in their teens, having cardiac arrest incidents. Yeah, that's that's another thing that was really uh, shocking in the data, but I think that just amplifies why we need to be so ready to to help in these situations because young people who have their whole lives ahead of them um, need the opportunity to survive. It also happens in children, um, and, and some of what was just alluded to in the report, but we have other data on is in young athletes in particular. We saw examples of that in the NFL recently, um, in the NBA, in the NFL. Um, And so it's, you know, people who run marathons have cardiac arrest. It's not because you eat too many hamburgers or, you know, don't, don't exercise enough. That's it's, it's to do with the electrics and the way your heart works. And so that's, that's really hard to prevent, but we can actually increase survival once you've had one. What's the difference between cardiac arrest and a heart attack? Yeah, so as I was saying before, the, um, the difference is really about how the, what is going on in the heart at that time. So the words sound very similar, um, but actually the, the cardiac arrest has to do with how your heart beats and the, what we call the electricity of, of how, what makes your heart beat. And so when, that, uh, when you have what's called an arrhythmia or a way in which your heart doesn't beat properly, that's what causes it to stop beating. Whereas with a heart attack, it's commonly um, due to a blockage in your heart that causes your heart to have an attack and to, uh, to not pump blood as efficiently as it could. I will say these are really, really high-level explanations. Obviously, there's a lot of other things that can be going on clinically in there, but that's kind of an easy way to explain the difference. And so what does a civilian like myself, if I have been trained in CPR or, or, or maybe not and should have been, but how do I know the difference if I'm seeing somebody in, in having a, a, an issue with his or her heart how do I know what to do if I don't know exactly right. what's going on? Yeah, you know what? One of the easiest things is a sudden cardiac arrest victim will collapse immediately and be unconscious and unresponsive. And they'll be doing something that we call agonal breathing. They kind of sound like they're gasping for breath. It sounds like they're breathing, but like they're not breathing properly. A heart attack will often cause, you, you hear the common things referred to, 
pain down the arm, shortness of breath, sweating, feeling weak, but they don't necessarily collapse unconscious right away. Uh, and so that's really the difference. When someone collapses and is unresponsive, you need to start CPR right away. What I always like to say is even if you start CPR on someone and you're unsure and they don't need it, it's okay. You can't really mm-hmm. hurt them. Let's talk about in your heart of hearts, if you'll pardon the expression, how would you like <laughs> to see CPR and, and also the understanding of AED? How would you like to see that distributed around the country? In my heart of hearts, I'd like to see that as part of the school curriculum, frankly. Yes. Yes. And actually, there is there is um, policies that indicate that it should be in the school curriculum, but there sometimes there's some difficulties in implementing and we're working on those. But I think starting right from kindergarten up is a great way to socialize people, socialize kids who eventually become adults to the concept of CPR and AED. I think, you know, common public messaging, just the way we have with fire extinguishers. Um, you know, everybody knows what a fire extinguisher is and when they have to use one. And I think we can get there with CPR and AED by using really common mechanisms. Sometimes I think of easy solutions like when you're sitting in the seat of a plane. You know, we, we, could, we could be flashing something on that screen uh, in front of you. Um, talking about things in big public events like um, NHL games or, uh, you know, the Super Bowl, things like that. I think there are ways in which we can make it really common knowledge. And imagine, Dr. Katie Dainty, being able to save a life with the knowledge of CPR. It would be so incredible to be able for everyone to have that skill and also not only have the skill, but feel confident and empowered to use it. So training is one thing, but really understanding what you are able to do and having that confidence is is something we also need to work on. I'd like to now bring in Donya Sagachi. Donya, welcome. Your brother is a cardiac arrest survivor, and it's thanks to you. What happened on that day? Hi, Ann. Yeah, so this was on Monday, uh, on a Monday in December in 2020. It was a regular day. My brother and I were both living with my parents at the time. He was a university student, and I was working remotely from home. Um, I had just finished a meeting, and I was taking a break, stepped into the kitchen for a cup of coffee with my mom and my aunt. And my brother was just in the room next door studying. And all of a sudden, we had heard something drop on the floor. I didn't make anything of it. Um, But I remember my mom and my aunt looked at each other and just stepped into the living room to see what was going on. And his laptop had fallen on the ground, but he was just sitting there, um, not moving. He was just staring into the abyss. And my mom went up to him and just started calling him and it was just a bit bizarre. And, you know, he's known to be a jokester in the family. So at first we thought he was playing a prank on us, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that quickly we realized it wasn't the case. Um, so my aunt, myself uh, walked into the living room and we were just calling him, yelling at his name, trying to get him to come back just to, to move and his eyes start to roll. And all of a sudden I look at my aunt and I ask her, should I call 911? And she says, yes. And I ran into my bedroom, um, took my phone, called 911. And I mean, I was on hold for what felt like minutes, but was really only like 20 seconds. And I couldn't even imagine that my only lifeline would put me on hold. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, from there the operator came and I just, just yelled for help. I ran outside barefooted in the snow because 
you know, my mom and my aunt were yelling at this point. I just, you couldn't even hear anything in the house. So I run outside, the operator comes on and I just beg for paramedics. I don't know what's going on with my brother. And, um, also that felt like a conversation, a call that took hours, but, um, she just kept asking what had happened. And then all of a sudden she asked me where I was. I told her I was outside and she said, go back inside. You need to start CPR on your brother. And I just, I guess call it muscle memory. I I used to be a lifeguard back in high school um, for several years, like throughout undergrad. Um, I didn't, it didn't occur to me at the time to do that before calling 911. Um, But as soon as she said it, I just started chest compression. Um, (laughs) It has to be so hard for Um, you to to be able to, to talk about this. I know it was several years ago and your brother was just 20 at the time. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So, and thank God you had been a lifeguard and you were trained in CPR and it came back to you. So as you were doing chest compressions, what was going through your head and what did you see with your brother as you were doing this? Oh my God. Um, I was, I had the operator on speakerphone yelling and I just asked her to do compression um, to count compressions with me. I just remember having cotton mouth because we were all yelling my mom and my aunt were yelling. Um, and what I do remember is as I was doing chest compressions, I could see it almost felt like he was coming back to life because his fingers turning blue were not so blue anymore. It almost felt like I was keeping his heart pumping until the paramedics came. And I just knew I wasn't going to stop. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Obviously, this is overwhelming for you still, but just saved his life. It sounds as if that CPR that came to life in you brought him back to life. Yeah, I mean, it's surreal to think about it. I can't, I I encourage everyone to get trained. I mean, it's so, so important. Such a basic survival skill. I, I try not to forget and have a sense of gratitude at how, fragile life can be, you know, after that moment. But I'm I'm grateful that I get to have a normal relationship with my brother yeah. and continue living a regular millennial life in, in Ontario. Beautifully put. Donya Sagachi, thank you so much. Thanks, Anne. For more information on CPR programs and courses, please go to heartandstroke.ca. Coming up after the break, the global search for construction workers. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. Everywhere you look in the GTA, there are cranes, construction cranes all over the place. Your first thought might be, that's a lot of building going on, considered by many to be progress, growth, and employment. Hold on, that's not the case. In fact, at least 
on the employment front. According to experts in the construction industry, it is incredibly difficult to find good help because of labor shortages. In spite of the fact that the pay is great, there are benefits, career advancements, and in many cases, free education. So what's the problem? Let's bring in a true giant in the construction industry, George Vassallo, president and CEO of Bothwell Accurate. George has actually had to turn down large contracts because he can't find workers. He's now casting his hiring net abroad. He's taken the time to join us here on the feed. Good to have you with us. This is a this is a weird job crisis as far as I'm concerned. When I look around the GTA and see so it's a beehive of activity in construction, I think, well, the, a lot of people are employed and a lot of people are working. That's not the case. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, and, and you're 100% correct. This is a, a huge problem that needs to be addressed both by the individual, the business, and, and by politicians. Um, you know, in the intro, you mentioned that uh, Toronto is filled with cranes. We are located in Toronto and Vancouver. Both of them have more cranes than just about any other city in the world. And, you know, I, I'm unable to get the amount of workers that I truly need. And I think it all starts with uh, kids at education, with ed- the education, and then it comes through with a perspective of construction. Right. The, uh, you know, the people have this perspective that construction is dirty, it's unsafe, and it leads to nowhere. And I think it's something that we're not doing a very good job at, at uh, developing interest in construction, and that's the fault of everyone in construction. Um, you know, if I was a smart man, I would have uh, found a, a, an answer to this a long time ago, but I've, I'm not. And, you know, I'm very concerned because my legacy is with my, my daughter, my grandkids, other family members, And so my concern is not for today so much as for the future. Well, the other thing is that these are employment opportunities that are absolutely fantastic, given the opportunity to understand what's at stake and what can be given to an an employee. So let's use this platform, 105.9 The Region, The Feed. George, give us your best-selling job when it comes to to employment within the construction industry. What do you get? What, What do you deserve? What can it lead to? Well, I think uh, to answer your question, and if you start in at the bottom with our company, you start at roughly $65,000. And that's just for general labor, you know, which is, is not a difficult job, but it is a strenuous job. You know, and after three years, you can take that 65000 up to about 150000 And if you continue on throughout the organization, you could be making three hundred dollars to $400,000. So it's a well-paying job but it's something that you need to be dedicated to and you can't be afraid of hard work. You know, we're a result driven company and uh, we do believe in old fashioned uh, values, which simply is to provide for food, roof over your head and take care of your family. And if you want a job like that, then Bothwell is certainly something that you should be considering. So let's also talk about the training involved and you, you start at the bottom. We all do. We all did. We all will. Where does the training come in and the education? We do everything internally. Um, so all training, when you get uh, hired by Bothwell, we first thing we do is you teach you all the safety that is required for the, for the job itself. And we will take you through and teach you about the different membranes for roofing. We'll teach you about the different metals for cladding, the different types of glass for glazing, and the different uh, membranes you use for waterproofing. So we do it all internally. And it's a graduated process. 
you know, as I like to explain it to, to newbies, as I call them, <laughs> that it's like going from kindergarten to university. It doesn't happen overnight. You have to go from grade one, two, three, four, all the way through. And by the time you're finished, you're, you're now a true professional making that three hundred and fifty dollars to $400,000 a year. But it takes time and it takes a lot of effort. So very quickly, George, what's your story? Um, very quickly, I, I, I finished uh, high school took first year of university, uh, met a, a young lady, and uh, we decided to get married. So I quit university and went to work for my dad, who owned an electrical distribution business. And I was the third son of three. So it's, um, you know, my, my voice didn't carry very far. <laughs> and I tried that till I was 50 years old. And I said, okay, George, it's time to grow up, stop relying on your father, and go out and get your own. So I bought uh, Bothwell in 2006. It was roughly a $19 million company in sales, and today it's a $250 million company, and um, we've done extremely well. And I do that by respecting my, my people, being very loyal. I want to educate them. I promise a quality. And, you know, I honestly do believe that the three foundations of life of food, putting on the table, a roof over our head, and promoting a family atmosphere is what I try to do. And um, my father taught me that it's all about family. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I truly remember is he said to me, you can have 100 steaks in the freezer, but you can only eat one at a time. <laughs> so he said, spread your wealth, spread your knowledge, and everything will go. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm asking for help today. Yeah, it sounds like it. And so who are you looking for? Let's again use this platform. Let's, let's get you some hirees. Who are you looking for? Um, anybody that, that is interested in, in the four magnitudes that I talked about, we, we do glazing, we do cladding, we do roofing, and we do waterproofing. And we're prepared to take anybody that has no knowledge whatsoever or people that are experienced and want to grow. Um, you know, it's, I, I have a firm believer right now that I need women on, on my, my job locations. We have roughly 750 people in the field, not one is a woman. And I go back to the world wars and other problem areas. Women did everything while the men were fighting. There's no reason why women can't do it. You don't have to be 250 pounds and uh, six foot four. With all the technologies today, um, women can do the job very uh, thoroughly. And I, and I look at it, women are always complaining that they, they don't make what a man makes. In our business, there is total equality. Excellent. If you're a, if you're a general laborer, you make you start at 65, whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter, or an immigrant. I like we we truly do treat people equally, and um, my my offering is to everybody and anybody that uh, wants to give it a try. We're more than willing to bring them on and try to educate them in the construction field. And so, George, let's dispel some of the myths about construction work and construction sites. Mm -hmm. There is a reputation out there that, that you had even mentioned it earlier in this interview, that construction sites can be dirty, that there is a, there are some isms that, that have evolved within construction sites, discrimination, that sort of thing, that well, it's I, considered a grunt I job, think, but I don't agree with that. Yeah, well, I, 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 that's where I was going to start with the educational process. Everybody thinks that if you go to the trades, you're beneath an accountant or a lawyer or, you know, anybody in, in a true profession that, that we classify it as. I think well, you're I smarter if you go in, in, you go in that direction, frankly. <laughs> well, so do I. I mean, it's been very good to me and my family, so I, I, I appreciate it. And all I'm trying to say to people is it, it's, it's not unsafe. 
everybody thinks that construction is very unsafe. And I keep telling everybody, if you do the job properly and as you're trained and listen to our safety features, you will be 100% okay. What about discrimination? What about discrimination? There is no discrimination. And I mean that sincerely. Um, Every construction company now is looking for everybody and anybody as long as they're willing to work and to learn. And I I look at it, people laugh at me because they say I've got the United Nations working for me. (laughs) And I, I am one of those... I, I truly believe in equality. If, if you can do the job and want to do the job, I'm going to hire you. And I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your race is. I don't care what your gender is. If you can do the job, you're going to get hired. So, you know, and that's one thing that when we talk about the past, everybody thought it was a male-dominated job. And if you weren't a male, you couldn't do it. Well, you can. Things have definitely cha- changed. And we have to promote it better. You know, it is a clean environment now. It is a safe environment we do still have a problem with uh, with the cat calling and everything else, but the industry is working very hard at correcting that and reprimanding people that do step over the line. And I, I don't think that's any different than the rest of civilization today. We have to make sure that the, the controls are extremely tight and that we monitor it. So we are looking for anybody that wants to, to help themselves. You know, we have a lot of free benefits. You know, we, we, try to send people back to school to learn anything. If you want to become an accountant and rather than a roofer, I'll, I'll pay for that. Because from my point of view, if I make people better, I make myself better. And that's vitally important. All right, you've got so, the ear, you've got the ear of the listeners right now. How can people get in touch with you? What's the first step for someone who's interested in following in your footsteps? Well, the best thing is just go to my website. It's bothwell/accurate.com. And we have a hiring process there, and it gives you all our management teams, phone numbers, and emails. Any way that you can contact the organization, we are more than happy to talk to you, and we will guide you through the process. So I think, if again, if I can just stress, if you want a good-paying job that will take care of you and your family, construction does that. And Bothwell Acker would be very happy to bring you in and train you. And something to be proud of. George Vassallo, President and CEO, Bothwell Accurate. Thank you so much for joining us on the feed. It was fascinating. Can I just add one more thing, You Anna? betcha. One of the, the most fascinating things that I enjoy as, as someone in construction is every time I get in the car with my grandkids, the first thing out of their mouth is, did you build that one, Grandpa? <laughs> did you do that one? Aww. And, you know, everybody wants to be proud of what you do. Yeah. And there is nothing more proud for an individual to have their grandkids look at them and say, did you do that? So it's a proud business to be in, and I would be honored to have anybody out there listening to join my team. Excellent. Well, you've, so you've, thank you very much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Well, and thank you for yours, George. And thank you so much for opening up probably a brand new world for a whole lot of people listening right now. Those who are currently employed are looking for new opportunities. Tina Cortez now with that story. According to a new survey, 42% of workers have already started looking for or planning to look for a new job in the first half of this year. To discuss the findings joining the feed is Sandra Lavoy, Regional Vice President at Robert Half. Thank you for joining the show, Sandra. Thanks, Tina, for having me. Okay, so let's start with the headline. Why are so many planning to look for a new job? Skilled talent is still really high, 
And a high salary is the number one reason people want to leave. And what types of jobs are they looking for? What positions or industries are in demand? Highly skilled market and creative professionals are very much in demand. HR and IT are in And the different industries also are looking for very specific skill sets. So the labor market is very high and, and in demand right now for great candidates. And what are the workers looking for? The number one reason people are leaving is for higher salaries. When we did our survey, Tina, 47% of the people we surveyed were leaving for a higher salary. And the second one was for more advanced opportunities. So these are tough economic times for everyone. How are employers encouraging good employees to stay? The number one thing that an employer needs to do is have great communication with staff for retention and engagement level. And what exactly does that mean? How do you engage? How do you retain those good people that you want to stay part of the team? I always say it's almost like re-interviewing, Tina. You need to find out what employees want. Some Everybody is different. You can't paint everybody with the same paintbrush. It might be flexible time. It might be perks and benefits. It might be opportunity. It might be, you know, a tuition reimbursement. Everybody is different. Without great communication with your employer and employee, you won't know what is important to them. And not knowing that leads to losing great people. What advice do you have for those who are looking for work? Because you said the number one reason they're leaving is for a greater salary. But that isn't Mm -hmm. always, you know, the recipe for a great job, is it? No, it's not. Because if you have opportunity and better perks at your existing employer, you need to have a great conversation with your manager to find out is this salary going to be, are there increases coming, and tell your employer how you're feeling and also the cost of living, how it's gone up. Every employee and every company knows employees are feeling the pinch right now. The survey also focused on a job with more flexibility. Does that mean in terms of hours? Does that mean in terms of where they're working as well? It's hybrid, and it means a start and end date. So what do I mean by that? You might work three days a week in the office, but you can work maybe seven to three, or you come in at eight and leave at three, but you have a windowed workday where you can log on after you've picked up the kids or whatever personal responsibilities you have. That allows people a great way for them to integrate their personal life and business life together. And we did a survey not that long ago that showed that was the number two thing besides salary that was most important to people was their flexibility and hybrid. So if you can't afford to give an increase, look at this also as an opportunity and a perk. How do I identify if a person, if an employee is looking for work, if they're unhappy in their current employment environment? How do you identify that person? And then how do you connect with them so that you can hopefully find a resolution that works for both the employee and the employer? I think what is really important is to have ongoing, maybe monthly or by every two months, conversation with your employees 
and always do a temperature check on how they're feeling and what is important to them. What are their short-term goals and long-term goals? If you have strong communication with your employee, you will know this. Often what happens, employers assume they're happy and then they find out when it's sometimes too late. You mentioned that skilled talent is in demand. Does that also include those soft skills that sometimes you cannot train for? Absolutely, because everyone in a company today has to sell, and I say sell, you know, be out there to help their business grow. So they're looking for that team playing ability, that leading, that, you know, working together as one to grow the business. And the fit is sometimes more important than some of the technical skills. Is there anything that surprised you about the results of this survey? No, it it didn't, because we're seeing this in life and in our business model, where we hear it every single day. The only thing I will say to people that are looking for jobs, candidates, please be realistic if you're looking for hybrid, remote roles are less than 8% in today's market of companies giving us remote roles. If our listeners want more information, Sandra, how do they connect with you? They could uh, send an email to sandra.lavoy at roberthalf.com or send it to our roberthalf.com. Go onto our website and we have a chat line. That's terrific. Thanks for joining us on the feed. Thank you very much for having me, Tina. After the break, ready for kickoff. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Follow us on Twitter at 105.9 The Region. Ann Romer and more of The Feed after the break. This is 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. If you're a football fan or not, Super Bowl 58 likely has your attention. Jim Lang now with the pregame. Super Bowl 58 Sunday in Las Vegas, the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, a repeat of what took place four years ago to take a look at this game. Thrilled to be joined by a veteran football writer, a voter of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, loves the Who and the Beatles, part of the 33rd team, one of the very best NFL writers in North America, Clark Judge, joining us in the feed. Clark, how are you? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you? Good. This is it's a fascinating matchup because yes, it's a rematch four years ago, but it's it's a different 49ers team because of Brock Purdy. And I know a lot of people are trying to dismiss him as Mr. Irrelevant. He hasn't been dominant the last couple of playoff games, but he's led his team to the Super Bowl, so he's done something right. Yeah, he's had a really good season. Uh this game manager I think is uh, really unfair because if you look at the last two games, you're talking about the playoff games. He started slowly and finished fast. And I remember a long time ago, and the laugh when you were introducing me saying a veteran football writer, that generally means you've been around a long time. It means you're old. Well, I've been around a long time. I've been covering this game for about 40 years. But uh, I remember the GM uh, years ago telling me he measured great quarterbacks, good and great, but great quarterbacks by how they perform in the last two minutes of a game, especially when they're under duress and they have to drive to win the, the ball game. We saw what happened against Green Bay. He drove the length of the field. They won the ball game. Didn't play very well until then, but he did at the end. And then you saw what happened in the second half last week, or yeah, last two, two weekends ago um, against the Lions. And, and so you look at that and say, well, this isn't a game manager. Game managers are there not to lose the game. They're not there to win the game. And Brock Birdie has been winning games ever since he's gotten in the league. 
He's 21 and five, including the playoffs in his uh, first two years as a starter. And, and that's so good that actually I kind of looked it up and it's a better record than Patrick Mahomes his first two years. He was 20 and six. They're both really impressive records. But uh, people want to take pot shots at Brock Purdy because he's not Mahomes, because he's not Steve Young, because he's not Joe Montana. He's just a really good quarterback. Uh, two years into his career, it's way too soon to predict what he's going to be or where he's going to be, but he's more and much more than a game manager. Clark, I look at the 49ers, and I, I think Kyle Shanahan's one of the more gifted coaches in football. They've got a phenomenal defense along with Fred Warner and Bosa. they got George Kittle at tight end. They can run the ball. They, they, they seem to have everything on paper, but is it enough for them? It's a good question. I, I, I don't know the answer. I, I'd say yes, it would be. But there are a couple X factors here. One is the 49ers' run defense. It's been atrocious in the playoffs. You look at what Green Bay did. They ran for 136 yards against them. Uh, Aaron Jones was particularly effective. Then you look at what happened with the Lions. The Lions gashed them again and again in the first half. They had 182 yards in the game, but 148 of them came in the first half and three rushing touchdowns. They couldn't stop the run. And so I look at this game and think, you know, it's not to me as much about Mahomes as it might be about Isaiah Pacheco, I, I think he could be the key factor. If he runs as effectively as others have in the first two playoff games against San Francisco, they could be playing from behind. You don't want to play from behind against Kansas City. But the other X factor is the man you mentioned, and that's Kyle Shanahan. Keep in mind, when the 49ers talked about unfinished business, to me, this is more than unfinished business for Kyle Shanahan. It's about redemption. He's the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons in the 28-3 New England Patriots game. He's the guy who kept throwing when he should have been running the ball. And when New England came from behind, they had to have an assist. Well, they got an assist from the Falcons, particularly from Kyle Shanahan. They could have kicked the field goal there late in the game, put the game out of reach. But no, he wanted to throw the ball. We know what happened. You go uh, fast forward to when they were playing the Chiefs four years ago, and you're up 20-10 to 10 in the fourth period. And once again... It's six and a half minutes to go. They can't stop the run, but he decides he wants to throw the ball because that's what he does. And they blew that game, lost 31 to 20, and people wanted to pin it on Jimmy Garoppolo. It wasn't on Jimmy Garoppolo. The quarterback never should have had to decide that game. All he had to do was hand off the ball and run out the clock, and they didn't. So I think there's a lot of pressure on him to prove that he's more than an innovative and imaginative head coach. He's a coach who can win a big game. Speaking with Clark Judge, a member of the voters for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, veteran football writer, uh, you know, you mentioned the term X factors. I, I was there at Super Bowl Forty Two, and Steve Spagnuolo uh, dialed up one of the great defenses we've seen in the Super Bowl, and he's been pretty darn good the last month of the season. And I just wonder what Steve Spagnuolo is going to have up in his sleeve Sunday for that Chiefs defense, which has really been a big reason why they're in the Super Bowl again. Yeah, I mean, for all the talk about Mahomes, Ellis Mahomes is an extraordinarily talented guy and very successful, but he hasn't carried this team this year. It's been the Chiefs defense, and it's the Chiefs defense under Steve Spagnuolo. And I was there, too, at Super Bowl Forty Two. He was he, he was the reason the Giants had a chance at the end of the game and won that ball game. Um, certainly, we talk about the David Tyree catch and how Eli escaped the sack, but it was a great defensive effort to bottle up a great Patriots team and Tom Brady. So you look at this game and you think, well, what's he going to do with the, the weapons they have? I don't know how effective um, uh, Samuels is going to be. I, I, I'm not sure you know, what uh, they're going to dial up in terms of getting McCaffrey out of the backfield. Um, but um, to me, the, the game plan for San Francisco should be pretty s- simple. And, it, and it's the same game plan 
that Baltimore did not dial up a, a week ago, or two weeks ago. Um, I keep thinking it's you know, we're yeah. going on a week-to-week basis. But, um, <laughs> but um, all you got to do is run the ball. But what, what is, what's the weak point for Kansas City? What's the one thing they have difficulty doing? Stopping the run. And Baltimore is the number one run defense, uh, run offense in the league. So all you've got to do now is run the ball. That's what you're effective at. And, and see if you can get ahead of them because you don't, as I said, don't want to get behind and chase points for them. But instead, they dealt up 41 attempted passes, that includes sacks, against the Chiefs. And they had their running backs carry six times. I, I, do, I still don't understand that. It hasn't been explained. But, um, you, you, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you look at, at San Francisco, they've got a, a, a gifted, gifted player in Christian McCaffrey. And we talk about Purdy. And to me, it's not so much Purdy that we should be talking about. It's McCaffrey. Because McCaffrey, to me, is what makes this team go. Listen, I covered the 49ers back in the 90s. And, um, you know, they had Ricky Waters. And when Ricky Waters was going great, they were going great. Their last Super Bowl, they won. They run it with Ricky Waters. He left the next year. They haven't won one since then. Before Ricky Waters, there was Roger Craig. They won a lot of Super Bowls. They won three with Roger Craig. They won four in that decade, but three with Craig. So you have a guy who can run the ball, who can catch it coming out of the backfield. That's who Christian McCaffrey is. He's the guy that Kansas City's got to be worried about. I know Kittle's banged up, but he will play. Um, they've got Ayuk is a t- terrific receiver. But you're right; they've got weapons galore. But to me, McCaffrey is the guy who makes the thing go. A final question, Clark. I mean, all the uh, the hype about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. We seem to forget sometimes just how good of a player he is, and his record in the postseason as a tight end is beyond reproach. And time and time again, when Patrick Mahomes needs 10 yards, 15 yards, a touchdown, Travis Kelsey, even though that the team knows they're going to him, he makes the catch. How is it after all these years that Travis Kelsey is still such a superb tight end and able to make those key catches for the Chiefs offense? That's a real good question. <laughs> I watch every one of their games and I go, you know, I, I'm not a defensive coordinator. I'm watching, watching film. But I would double him and dare the others. Valdez Gantling... Uh, Rice, I dare anyone to beat me other than Travis Kelsey because he's the guy who makes that team go. And it seems like every time you watch, he's sitting in the middle of the field with no one within five yards of him. I, I, I am not a defensive coordinator, but I look at that and go, wow, what in the world is going on here? Um, but that's a testimony to, I think, the play calling of Andy Reid and, and also the, the, the prowess of Travis Kelsey. I mean, he's not a young guy, but he's playing better than ever. At this moment, I mean, he's really dialed up his um, his production uh, in, in the postseason here, and 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 that's the other thing about Mahomes. I will say is that you look at what he does or what he's done in the playoffs, and he just doesn't make mistakes. Now he's been sacked once in his last four playoff games. That helps, but he's not turning the ball over, and they're not turning the ball over. And all those drops we heard about during the season, that that really hasn't happened either. So they're, they're playing really well. And, and I guess that goes without saying because they're experienced. They know how to, what to do when, they, when they're in the playoffs. Mahomes is, I think, 14-3. and three. They've been here before. They know what to do. And, and they're minimizing mistakes. And that's so critical at this time of year. And uh, if they minimize the mistakes here, yeah, they've gotten only a chance to win. I, I think they will win. Um, to me, the pressure's all on San Francisco, it's not on Kansas City. Yeah, I totally agree. Clark, I thank you for your insight. I've been a big fan for a long time, and I just like your take on football and uh, how you approach it. It's a refreshing to see among some of the media hype we get to actually get some actual real knowledge about the game and stuff like that. All the best. Enjoy the game. We'll talk down the road, Clark. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very much.
Shaliza Backus is next with the soulful sounds of Drew. Canadian music is something to always be celebrated. And our next guest on the feed is kind of a veteran in Canadian music. Artist Drew joins me. Uh, I, we're going to call you Drew. That's that's like your stage name, right? Yes, it is. That's yes. what we all know you as. And honestly, I remember your music from back in the early 2000s. And you're still at it. You're still representing for Canadian music. So how has it been for the last few years? Uh, it's been good, you know, like, you know, with, with COVID and kind of how the industry is changing, I've been kind of, I kind of took a step back to figure out how I should move in the industry right now. Like, as you may or may not know, I put an album out in 2021. We're almost at 3 million streams right now. Thankful to everyone for all the support with that album. But, um, you know, the way the industry is, I, like I said, took a step back to figure out, you know, what I could do to kind of rework what I'm doing, where I could still stay in my lane, still kind of you know, try something new and fresh. Absolutely. And that would, you kind of answered my next question. Like so much has changed over the last decade yes. or so in the industry. Canadian music has blown up, you know, let's say 10 years ago, you didn't have, well, you kind of did, but it, they weren't as huge, you, you know, Drake, Justin yeah. Bieber, The Weeknd, artists like that. And I'm sure that has changed a lot of the way that you do your work. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, now that you know, all the eyes are on us, you know, big up to Drake, of course, you know, he uh, actually brought out me and my former group in essence as our first reunion after 16 years to the North Stars uh, OVO show in 2022. He gave us our flowers, so to speak. Um, you know, he was a big fan of us when he was coming up. So to be able to get recognized by the boy, you know what I mean? It was, uh, it was definitely an honor and it kind of, it kind of actually uh, was the, the start of this idea that I'm actually doing now, this new residency, it started after that show. You know, when you hear current music in clubs and parties, people react, yes, but when the DJ throws it back, it's a whole nother energy. You know, it's a whole nother nostalgic love for those eras, I would say, from, you know, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. There's a different kind of nostalgia when it comes to that. And um, that's how I put together my new band, Soul Nostalgic. I've spoken to Maestro Fresh West, John Desmond, all of whom were part of that North Stars concert. Legend. I feel like the reaction from all of you has been more or less the same. It's like you weren't expecting people to still be rocking with you, still be listening to your music, yeah, and crazy. still know all the words to your songs, which I, I do. I will raise my hand and say that I do. <laughs> yeah, no, it felt, it felt amazing. I think it was a good reminder. I think Drake kind of kicked us in the head like, yo, you guys, you know, bust down the door for Canadian artists to really be where they're at today. You know, if it wasn't for someone like, say, a Sean Desmond or a Cardinal Official or a Keisha Shante or uh, in essence or myself, Drew, you know, to show younger artists that are watching that, no, we can we can actually bust down the doors and take this industry to another level. So to see these artists at the top of the industry right now makes me feel good. It makes me feel amazing. So tell me about what you've been working on and about this residency, because I think it's so cool. Ooh-wee. Okay, um, you know what? I'm I'm super excited. I feel like these eras, the eras of R&B and soul music, is just so loved. I think in Toronto, and it really hasn't had the proper platform to be presented in a way that you know you can get dressed up in your finest, go out and have a dinner, but still be able to take in that edgy soul from those eras in a way where it's not really like an underground hip hop club or it's not like just a say a, a 90s party but this is this is a little more sophisticated 
you know, we kind of added like a Las Vegas style approach to it with all the tuxedos and the uh, we're doing a very immersive show. So we won't just be on the stage. We're going to be coming into the audience. You know, the way um, shout out to Aqua Supper Club, which is where I'm starting the residency. The way the restaurant is built, it's very immersive. So there's like a runway riser that actually runs all the way through the restaurant. So myself and the band and the dancers, we can actually get close up and personal with the audience. You know, the guitar player playing electric guitar in your face type of thing. Horn players are going crazy. But we also have like the lighting and the smoke effect and just a little bit more of a bigger production, but with a sophisticated Las Vegas flair and class to it. So it's it's something that the city has never seen before. Definitely. I was like, we're bringing Vegas to Toronto. Like when I first heard yeah. this news, I was like, wait, is he doing this residency in Vegas? And then I kept reading. I was like, oh, no, no, this is happening in Toronto. So did you ever think that something like this would have been possible to bring that type of scene to this city like a decade ago? No. You know what? I was looking for it. I just recently actually got engaged about a year ago. And me, me and my fiance. Congratulations. Been for it. Thank you. Uh, me and my fiance have, have always been looking for, you know, something like this that we could go to and we can never find it. You know, I'm a little older now. I'm in my 40s now. So, you know, I maybe don't want to be at the uh, younger clubs. You know, I kind of want to sophisticate it up a little bit. I'm a little more grown and sexy now. So we wanted something that gave an audience something like that to go to. And when I couldn't find it, I was like, you know what? And with Usher, like what Usher's doing in Las Vegas, what New Edition is doing in Las Vegas and how they're really starting to pay attention to those eras. You know, I'm like, not everyone has the money to book a flight, book hotel and buy the tickets for a show like that. So it's like, why not give them the opportunity to have that authentic vibe right here in the city? All right. Well, you know where to find me. That's, I'm sold. <laughs> I'm, I'm good to go. And tell me about this new era of music that you are headed into, because I'm sure it's much different than what you've created before. And yeah. like you said, you're so much more grown up now. So things are different. Yeah, things are different. You know, I've always been influenced by the 70s, 80s and 90s R&B. And I feel like those eras just will not die for some reason. I don't know what it is about that those eras. So even my new music, I'm very influenced even by uh, Silk Sonic, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. Like I'm very influenced by that style. And I was I love that. That's probably my favorite album in the last 10 years. And that kind of inspired me to be like, okay, Nadru, you can do, you can do those vibes, you know, that you want to do as long as it's authentic and it's still at the level of like production value that we have today, you know? And I feel like Silk Sonic is one of those groups that have shown artists like myself, like that love that era that you can still do it now at a high level. Absolutely. Love to hear that. So, so excited for you and all the things that are about to happen for you. So when yeah. is this residency going to start? Where can we get more information? Where can we follow you? All of that. Okay, you can follow me at Drew Grange. That's D-R-U-G-R-A-N-G-E. The show is actually called Soul Live, featuring my new band, Soul Nostalgic, which is myself and the Recipe Band have come together to make this new powerhouse group. And it's launching at Aqua Supper Club. We start February 15th and we'll be running weekly until March 14th. And at that time, we there's a good chance we'll be announcing more dates for the spring and summer. So it's a perfect date night on February 15th, perfect Valentine's weekend, family day weekend. The show is open to the whole family so you can bring your kids. If you don't want to bring your kids, leave them home <laughs> and you can still come out and have an amazing dinner. The food there is amazing Italian cuisine. And it's just a high-end, beautiful restaurant. 
uh, very modern. I feel like a lot of people haven't really known about this spot. It's like a little gem that we have in the city. It's on the exhibition grounds. And it's just uh, it's just a beautiful place. Come out. I guarantee you will enjoy yourself. That is absolutely amazing. Drew, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck, and we will connect again with you soon. All right. Take care. If you missed any part of the feed, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you so much for listening.